Monday afternoon back in the studio. Week 10 of the NFL football season has been a good one so far. And we'll cap it tonight with what should be a really fun one out west. It is a sports pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. lot to get to today. We've got college football to break down. I'm going to give you my playoff rankings, which really mean nothing. But you're going to hear my opinion on why each team should be ranked where they are. Even though we have the real rankings coming out tomorrow new college football playoff rankings. Plus, we're going to recap yesterday's action on the NFL circuit. I've got a guest who's going to join me in the ESPN-UP phone line, and that is Mike Grimm, play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Golden Gophers football team. The Gophers becoming one of the biggest Cinderella stories of this college football season, and he's going to tell us why we should all be rowing the boat, why we should be part of that bandwagon here in about 30 minutes. He'll join me in the ESPN-UP phone line. And as always, we'll play over-under, even though it's not really over-under, with the college football top 25 lines for this weekend's slate of games. All that and more coming up over the course of the next hour. But let's start with the NFL. Let's go back and recap each game from yesterday per usual. Let's start with the Bears and Lions. We ended up getting Mitch Trubisky against Jeff Driscoll. The stuff that dreams are made of. Although it wasn't too bad of a game, I tell you what. The Bears pick up the win 20-13. to Driscoll was okay, 27-46, to 269 yards, one TD. He was picked once. On the other side, Trubisky? Yeah, this seems like the formula for success. 16-23, to 173 yards. He threw three TDs. He was not picked. Now what I like about that from the Bears' standpoint... They threw the ball only 23 times. Pass less, run more. David Montgomery had 17 carries yesterday for 60 yards. He did not have a run longer than 10, but that's okay. You need to be putting the ball on the ground a lot more than putting it in Mitch Trubisky's hands. You want to get your ground game going. You don't want Trubisky passing the ball 40, 50 times a game. That was the recipe for success for Chicago yesterday. Meanwhile, Matt Stafford continues to be the big story for the Lions. He was a guy that wanted to play through a fractured back. He's got fractured bones in his back, and doctors would not let him take the field. He's a competitor, first and foremost. Let's recognize that. But how long has he been dealing with this? Because those are bones that don't heal without surgery. Backbones? Those don't heal without surgery. How long has he been dealing with this? Or how many secret surgeries has he had on the side? This is going to be a fun story to keep an eye on over the next few weeks or so. See where this one goes. The Ravens absolutely toyed with Cincinnati yesterday. 49-13, the final. Lamar Jackson making his case for the MVP. 15-17 through the air, 223 yards and three passing TDs. He was not picked. He carried the ball seven times for 65 yards, including one rushing score. They just continue to play with Cincinnati and play with the rest of the NFL. Meanwhile, Ryan Finley in his first NFL start, 16-30, 167 yards, one TD, and one pick. Elsewhere, the battle for the Meadowlands is heard on ESPN-UP yesterday. The Jets winners over the Giants, 34-27. to Now, the Giants were one-dimensional yesterday. They were pretty good in the passing department. Daniel Jones, 26, a 40 for 308 yards, four TDs, and was not picked. Darius Slayton, he can play a little bit of football. Ten catches, 121 yards, and two TDs. Now, the the problem was they were too one-dimensional to be successful. Saquon Barkley carried the ball 13 times for a total of one yard. He was hit behind the line of scrimmage on almost every carry because the Giants had a skeleton crew up front with three starting offensive linemen missing to end that game yesterday. Three starting linemen did not finish the game yesterday for New York. They didn't have two of them to start the game, and then they end up losing Kevin Zeitler a little bit later on. Saquon had negative 13 yards rushing after contact yesterday. 
That's not good. When you have a star running back coming off an injury, not 100%. At this point, the Giants might think about just shutting Saquon down. Sam Darnold, meanwhile, 19-30, 230 yards, one TD. He was not picked. Couldn't quite get Le'Veon Bell going. 18 carries for 34 yards, including one rushing TD. Just hasn't been the same since that holdout. The Browns, they hang on late. They beat the Bills 19-16. Baker Mayfield game-winning touchdown pass with a minute 44 to go. Richard Higgins was the recipient of that catch. Mayfield finished the day 26-38, 238 yards and two TDs. Josh Allen on the other side, 22-41, 266 yards, no TDs, and he was not picked. Nick Chubb, a good day on the ground, 20 carries, 116 yards. And Jarvis Landry with a big day, nine catches, 97 yards. Thankful that I started him in fantasy. What happened to the New Orleans Saints defense yesterday? I started them in fantasy yesterday because they were playing the Falcons. I tell you what, you never want Dan Quinn when he's coming off a bye because the Falcons take down the Saints 26-9. to They stunned the first-place team in their division and maybe the best team in the NFC, at least so we thought. Matt Ryan, 20-35, 182 yards, two TDs. He was picked once. Devonta Freeman, 10 carries, 38 yards. Couldn't quite get him going. On the ground, it was Brian Hill who was doing most of the damage for the Falcons. 20 touches for 61 yards. Meanwhile, Drew Brees, 32-25, 200. 87 yards, no TDs, and no picks. Michael Thomas continues to do his thing. 13 catches for 152 yards to lead the Saints offensively. Meanwhile, the Bruce Arians revenge tour saw the Buccaneers take down the Cardinals 30-27. to Pretty good day for Jameis Winston. 30-48, 358 yards, one TD, albeit he was picked twice. But Mike Evans made up 40. He was the security blanket, and I know that term's overused, but he was yesterday. Four catches, 82 yards. Ronald Jones catching the football, probably more effective than he was as a runner eight catches for 77 yards he was 11 to 29 on the ground as the Buccaneers improved to three and six they dropped the Cardinals to three six and one well the Tennessee Titans found a formula for success yesterday and it was named Derrick Henry they just kept grounding and pounding the football Henry carried it 23 times for 188 yards including two TDs and that was more than enough for the Titans to end up beating Kansas City 35 32 in Pat Mahomes' return. Mahomes himself was pretty good. 36 of 50, 446 yards, three TDs. He was not picked. Damian Williams, 19 touches, 77 yards. And Tariq Hill, 11 catches, 457 yards, including one TD. But the defense just couldn't stop Derrick Henry. And the Titans found a formula for success. It's running the football with big number 22. And the Chiefs have a major concern. And per usual, it's their defense. We talked about how that revamped defense could maybe make this team a Super Bowl contender. They had a better shot at winning the Super Bowl last year. So the Chiefs dropped one yesterday at Tennessee. They probably shouldn't have. Meanwhile, the Dolphins win their second straight game. They improved to 2-7. and seven. They take down the Colts 16-12. to 12. They cash in on a plethora of Indy turnovers. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 21-33, 169 yards, no TDs. He was picked once. Meanwhile, it's a tough day for Brian Hoyer on the other side. 18-39, 204 yards, one TD. He was picked three times. Colts drop a game to Miami. Meanwhile, the Packers, not many problems yesterday. They beat the Panthers 20 
24 to 16. Aaron Rodgers, 17 to 29, 233 yards. Aaron Jones, 13 touches for 93 yards, including three scores, as he pads his lead in that category among all NFL players. Devontae Adams, seven catches for 118 yards. On the other side of things, Kyle Allen, 28 of 43, 307 yards, one TD, one pick. Christian McCaffrey, 20 carries, 108 yards, and one TD. Meanwhile, receiving, he had six catches for 33 yards. Did not find the end zone there, and Carolina absolutely needed him to. McCaffrey's got to be two-dimensional because we know the rest of that Panther offense sure is not. How about the Pittsburgh Steelers turning things around? They've won four of their last five, including a 17-12 victory over the L.A. Rams yesterday. And the Rams just aren't making the playoffs. They aren't. They don't look anything like that team that went to the Super Bowl last year. Jared Goff was 22 of 41. He threw for 242 yards and one TD. But it was Mason Rudolph, 22 of 38, 242 yards and one TD, that really stole the show as they spoil Aaron Donald's homecoming of sorts. James Washington had a good day catching the football. Six receptions, 90 yards, including one TD. Rams just couldn't get anything going offensively, albeit maybe a little encouraging from Todd Gurley, 12 touches for 73 yards. Todd Gurley maybe starting to come back to true form. And then finally, Sunday night football last night. The Vikings winners over the Cowboys, 28-24. to Kirk Cousins, he did what he needed to, 23-32, 220 yards, two TDs. He was not picked. Dalvin Cook, 26 carries, 97 yards, including one TD. By the way, he did have seven catches for 86 yards as well. Dallas, meanwhile, saw Dak Prescott go 28 of 46, three TDs and one pick. Ezekiel Elliott, 20 touches for 47 yards. And Amari Cooper, 11 catches for 147 yards and one TD. So I tell you what, the Vikings make a statement last night in front of a national audience. The statement not only being that they can go into Jerry World and beat a team like the Cowboys, but rather that we can win with Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins just has to avoid Kirk Cousining himself. He's known for being a national punching bag. But as long as he can play sound football, mistake-free football, he doesn't have to do anything amazing. Vikings have enough playmakers. Kirk Cousins just doesn't have to Kirk Cousin himself. Don't try to do too much. Take care of the football, and the Vikings can be a good team. I still think the Vikings win this division. I really do. I still think that Week 16 matchup in Minneapolis will decide the division. And until Green Bay beats Mike Zimmer in Minneapolis, I still have the Vikings winning this division. They'll both be playoff teams, but the Vikings can win this division if Kirk Cousins just avoids Kirk Cousining himself. I tell you what, that's our recap of the NFL action from Sunday, as we love to do every Monday here on ESPN-UP. Don't forget tonight, we'll close the book on Week 10 when the Seahawks take on the 49ers. Coverage begins at 8.15 on ESPN-TV. It's going to be a fun one. I still have the Seahawks winning that division as I get set to take on an unbeaten Niners squad tonight. Let's update our pick'em standings before we hit the break. I'm 32 and 17. I've got a two-game lead on Ryan Stig, who's 30 and 19. I picked Oakland, the Giants, the Rams, the Vikings, and the Seahawks. So I'm two and two this week with the Seahawks still playing tonight. They can be the difference between me having an above week or a below week. Ryan, I mentioned, is 30 and 19. Jake Durant, 29 and 20. Michael Hofling. 28 and 21, Tyree Smith 27 and 22. So we're all packed in together, five game lead between first to fifth. I tell you what, the only one of us that has San Fran tonight is John Michael Hoefling, the only 49er fan of all of us. So will he gain a game on all of us? 
Let's wait and see. Going to be a fun one tonight on Monday Night Football. Let's take a time out when we come back. Let's talk about this college football weekend. I'll give you my rankings, which again, mean nothing with the playoff rankings coming out tomorrow. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Monday afternoon. Don't forget Mike Grimm. Play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Golden Gophers going to stop by the show. Join us on the ESPN-UP phone line here in about 15 minutes. Let's stick with the college football path, though. I tell you what, I'm going to give you my top 10 rankings as far as the college football playoff goes. What does it mean? Not a whole heck of a lot. But I'm going to tell you why I believe the rankings should look like this tomorrow night when the next edition of the college football playoff rankings come out. First, I want to get to this, though. We talked about Willie Taggart last week. He was fired by Florida State. Didn't have success there. He was 9-12 and in his about one and a half years there. This weekend, the second domino fell as far as Power 5 coaches in their second year. Arkansas made the decision yesterday to fire Chad Morris, who was 4-18 and in his second season with Arkansas. So who does that open the door for? Well, bet online, as they always do, came out with odds. As far as who could be the next Arkansas head coach, who could succeed Chad Morris? And the greatest odds right now belong to Mike Norvell from Memphis. Two to one odds for Mike Norvell. Three to one odds for Eliah Drinkwitz. Four to one for Lane Kiffin. Five to one for Bill Clark. Six to one for Sonny Dykes and Mike Leach. Why is Mike Leach suddenly the hottest name? Is he he looking at leaving Washington State? I don't want him to. I love me some Washington State Mike Leach. 8-1 Eight to one odds for Hugh Freeze, twelve to one for Gus Malzahn, which I mean, why would you do it? Why would you leave a good place in Auburn? Bobby Petrino, could he come back? Eighteen to one odds and then twenty five to one for Houston Nutt. So who could be the next head coach at Arkansas? First of all, who wants that job? Because if you're Mike Leach, I know Washington State's having a tough year, but you got something special there. If you're Gus Malzahn, why would you ever leave Auburn? The comfort and the security and what you've built there to go take a job at Arkansas, a place that's had a heck of a time recruiting. I think Mike Norvell is an absolute possibility. Sonny Dykes on that list I could see happen. And could Lane Kiffin find his way back into the Power Five ranks? I think those three are absolute possibilities. But it's amazing how far this Arkansas program has fallen. Chad Morris looked like a great hire. He did. He really did. On paper, he should have worked out. Arkansas just doesn't have the resources. They don't have the ability to recruit. So which of those guys is a good recruiter? Norvell, he's starting to build a program from the ground up. I might think that he's the best candidate in that sense. Because Arkansas needs somebody who's going to recruit. That was Chad Morris's biggest problem there. He just couldn't get anybody to want to come to Fayetteville. Mike Norvell has proven that he can do that. That he can win at a small school level and build up something competitive. Now can he do it in the SEC? To me, Mike Norvell is the hottest name on that list. Of course, if you do manage to lure away Mike Leach, that'd be so much fun. Mike Leach in Arkansas. I'd be here for it. I'd be cheering for the Hogs just for that. I tell you what, let's go ahead and get into this. I'm going to give you my top 10, the rankings that I believe should mirror the college football playoff rankings when the second edition is released tomorrow. Let's go through the top 10. Let's count them down. Number 10, I've got the Oklahoma Sooners. 
Oklahoma survived a scare. They blew a three-touchdown lead against Iowa State last weekend, and they survived because they were able to come up with a two-point conversion stop in the final minute of the game, win 42-41. to So the Sooners, to me, are still at number 10, partly because they have one of the worst losses of any group in the top 10, Kansas State, and they really don't have that impressive of a win. If you look at Oklahoma's resume, their best win is Texas? A three-loss Texas team? The Sooners pass the eye test. They absolutely do. And if they win the Big 12, they're going to be right back into the mix. But I don't know that that guarantees them a spot. Not with that Kansas State loss on their resume. So right now, the Sooners are at number 10 in my rankings. Number 9, I'm going with Utah, the Utes. Partly for the same reason. Their loss was a bad one to USC. But it's not as bad as losing to K-State. Actually getting blown out by K-State. And then Utah just doesn't have a significant win on their resume. They're not going to get that in the Pac-12. And they don't play a good enough non-conference schedule. For more of the same reason, I have Oregon at number 8. Just ahead of Utah, Oregon's one loss, not nearly as bad. In fact, it's not a bad loss losing to Auburn. But they don't have a significant victory. Their best win is maybe Washington. So that's why I have Oregon at 8, Utah at 9, Oklahoma at 10. Because out of that group, they all have one loss. Oklahoma has the worst loss, but arguably the best win. Texas is probably a better win than Washington, yeah? But the reason I'm keeping Oklahoma at 10 and putting those two Pac-12s ahead of them is because the committee has shown that they care more about bad losses than they do about good wins. Case in point, Ohio State last year. Let's keep going on this list. Number seven, you know, I probably should have had them fall a little bit farther after this weekend, but I'm sticking Penn State at the number seven spot just because of how much credit I give to Minnesota. Penn State, to me, is ahead of the Pac-12 schools and Oklahoma because their one loss is not nearly as bad to Minnesota, an unbeaten team who maybe controls their own destiny. I think they do. I believe if you win a Power 5 conference and you go unbeaten, you should be an automatic qualifier to the college football playoff. So that's why I'm saying Penn State holds at number 7. Now their best win is probably Michigan. They've also beaten Iowa. Those are their two best wins. You know, those are fine. They're better than anything that Oregon, Utah, or Oklahoma have accomplished this year. Plus, again, that one loss, not nearly as bad as losing to USC, K-State, to me, Penn State has better wins than the aforementioned Pac-12 schools in Oklahoma, and they have not nearly as bad of a loss. At number six, I'm going with the Golden Gophers. The Gophers unbeaten, and they are playing like they are a college football playoff team right now. Now, this is the biggest mover I have this week, and I hope that the committee agrees with me when the rankings come out tomorrow because they put the Gophers at number 17. I thought they lowbrowed them a little bit. But honestly, what's the argument to say that the Gophers shouldn't be number six when the new rankings come out tomorrow? What's the argument saying the Gophers shouldn't jump 11 spots? Why should Minnesota not be ranked ahead of Oregon? Minnesota's got a better win. Penn State's a better win than Auburn. And they don't have any losses. What's the argument that Minnesota shouldn't be ahead of Utah? Minnesota, again, has a better win. Utah lost to USC. And what's the argument saying Minnesota shouldn't be ahead of Oklahoma? The Gophers have a better win. Penn State trumps Texas. And Oklahoma has a bad loss in their resume. Now, on the eye test, those three schools probably do go ahead of Minnesota. 
But what is the argument other than the eye test? Because I hate going on the eye test. People's perceptions are just never as clear, as unbiased as they want you to believe or as they hope they are. To me, Minnesota should be number six when the new rankings come out tomorrow. I think the committee lowbrowed them last week because they didn't have a signature win. Their wins have come against Nebraska, Maryland, Rutgers, non-conference. They played Fresno State, South Dakota State, nearly lost both those games, nearly started 0-2. The committee wanted to see a signature win. The strength of the schedule was holding Minnesota back. There's no argument for that anymore. They beat Penn State. If they went on the road at Iowa this weekend, there's no reason they shouldn't be a top-six team. Let's move into the top five. To recap, six through ten in my rankings, Minnesota, Penn State, Oregon, Utah, Oklahoma at number ten. Number five on my list, I am going with Georgia. Now, here's where it gets tricky because Georgia, yeah, you had the South Carolina loss. That is arguably the worst loss of anybody in the top ten. But they've got the quality wins to make up for it. They have two top ten wins this season, Florida and Notre Dame. Both teams were ranked in the top ten when Georgia beat them. That being said, the committee does care more about bad losses than they do about good wins. I think those quality of wins, though, will be enough to put Georgia in at the five spot. They'll move up one spot in the rankings this week. I don't think that bad loss to South Carolina is going to be enough to keep them out of the top five, but I don't think it moves them up. It doesn't help them pass anybody, especially number four, which is Alabama. Because Bama's one loss, LSU, is a lot better than losing to South Carolina. We may get our chance to see Bama and Georgia, potentially, in the SEC championship, although doesn't look as likely anymore. Bama, to me, is still ahead of Georgia, but they're behind the three obvious teams. They don't fall far with a five-point loss to what looks like the best team in the country. At number three, I'm going with Clemson. Yeah, their strength of schedule is lap. Well, you want to talk about Minnesota's strength of schedule being what holds them back. Why aren't we having the same conversation about Clemson? Yeah, Clemson's unbeaten. They haven't won with style consistently. They've done it a few times. But you're scheduling Wofford in November? Okay, I'm not saying that Minnesota is a better team than Clemson. But why are we holding Minnesota's strength of schedule against them, but we're not going to do the same thing to Clemson? That being said... I don't think you can put Bama above Clemson anymore. Not without one loss. Clemson, as long as they continue to do what they're doing, taking care of business, they're going to be just fine. Number two, I'm going with Ohio State. And they might be the best team in the country. I said LSU might be. Ohio State might be as well. Those two teams are the best two teams in the country. LSU, by the way, is the team that I have at number one. Beating Alabama, that's the best win of anybody in college football this year. Coach O and the Tigers. They're number one, and it's well-deserved. That is my top ten for the college football playoff rankings when they come out tomorrow. If I were a committee member, that's how I'd vote. LSU at number one, followed by Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia at the top five. Six through ten, Minnesota, Penn State, Oregon, Utah, and Oklahoma. Just outside the top ten, teams like Florida, Auburn, Baylor. I tell you what, Baylor, you got to start giving them some love. They get a chance at Oklahoma this weekend. So they'll have a chance to get into the mix in the top 10. If Baylor beats Oklahoma, should they be a top 10 team? Absolutely they should. But I tell you what, going back to Coach O and LSU, going on the road this weekend, winning the way they did in Tuscaloosa, beating Bama, something they haven't done since Les Miles was there, I didn't think they'd do it. 
I give them a ton of credit. I eat my words. And you know what? I'm happy for Coach O and I'm happy for LSU. I want to play some Coach O audio. Is that all right with you? I love listening to Coach O. Let's see what I can find. Well, it's such a big game. They beat us for eight years. We got tired of hearing their stuff, man. I mean, it was time. I told the team tonight, we draw the line. We had enough. Here we come. I love that. Never change Coach O. I just typed in Orgeron into the database here in the monitor, the ESPN audio database, and that was the first one that played. I love it. (laughs) Tell you what. Coach O, you remember a few years ago, I think it was 2013, when he was the interim head coach at USC. They just fired Lane Kiffin. The program was kind of in a mess, and he beat everybody but Notre Dame as the interim head coach. USC really said, nah, man. We like Clay Hilton better. Clay Hilton is the guy for this job. I love it. I'm glad Notre Dame doesn't have to play Coach O every year. His Tigers will be the new top-ranked team in the college football playoff rankings when they are released tomorrow night. The AP Polo Ray thinks so. Now it's time to match it in the real poll. Hey, I tell you what, before we get Mike Grimm here in the ESPN-UP phone line, we talk a little Golden Gopher football because they are one of the biggest Cinderella stories in sports in recent memory. Welcome back, Dan Levitard. Dan Levitard back after a two-month hiatus on the Levitard Show. Good to have him back. Stugatz, in his usual Stugatz form, put together a touching tribute, 30 for 30 style to Dan. What if I told you that one of America's most trusted and respected sports journalists decided that the middle of the football season was the perfect time to take a three-week vacation? That three weeks turned into four. That four turned into five. That his co-host didn't ask for any of this. That August would have been better. That December would have been better. That July would have been better. That really, there probably isn't ever a good time to take two months off. That years later, doctors would learn that several people from his radio and TV staff became ill as a result of those five weeks. That after his five-week vacation, he would work 12 days before taking another three off. That it's Monday morning, and I'm recording this, and still have no clue if Dan will be in or not. That George Sedano's orthopedic doctor was on the Levitard show more times this month than Levitard. That I'm not sure Dan knows he missed the entire MLB playoffs. That the Nationals won the World Series. That Joe Madden now manages the Angels. That Joe Girardi no longer goes to my Starbucks that I got to meet Jack Del Rio and his hair. That I stole Sean Payton's number from Diana Rossini's cell phone when she wasn't looking. That The Rock asked me how our host was doing and my response was to ask him for a selfie. ESPN Films presents a 30 for 30 about Dan Lebitard, a sports journalist who thought the worst time was the perfect time. That was amazing. That was really well done. 
I'd watch that 30 for 30, and I'm not a documentary guy. I hate watching movies where I know the ending. Like, if it's like a historical documentary, I know it. Like, I know it's going to happen. I'm just not a documentary guy. I might be for that one, though, if that actually were to get produced. Let's take another time out. When we come back, Mike Grimm, play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Golden Gophers football team, will join me in the ESPN-UP phone line. We'll tell you why you should get on the bandwagon and start rowing the boat next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Monday afternoon. Here's your Sports Center update. The Washington Redskins are naming Dwayne Haskins their starting quarterback for the remainder of the year, per interim head coach Bill Callahan. Former Michigan State wide receiver Charles Rogers passed away at the age of 38. Cassius Winston's brother passed away this weekend as well. He was hit by a train. Thoughts and prayers to the Michigan State community and all who knew those young men. And finally, according to NASA Chief Jim Bridenstine, Pluto is now a planet again. I don't like how they keep switching between, is it a planet, is it not? They go back and forth. Don't play with me like that. Pluto's a planet. It's got the moons. That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along per usual. Let's turn it over to the phone line and bring in Mike Grimm, play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Golden Gopher football team. Kind enough to give us some time this afternoon. Mike, I really appreciate you being on. I have an idea, but what's the atmosphere like in Minneapolis today? You know what? It's one of uh, euphoria uh, for for a couple of reasons, Tanner. One, the Vikings won Sunday night primetime football. <laughs> and so at, even at the end of the day, after all of what Minnesota Gophers did, the Vikings still run the town. Uh, that's the, the, you know, that's the number one team in town. So it was uh, it was a double dose of good news if you're a football fan in Minnesota. Um, that said, um, around the Gophers specifically, it's been unbelievable. And even with that game with the Cowboys and the Vikings on primetime Sunday, I thought it was interesting. As a, it was a full two weeks for the Gophers to, to get ready because they had a bye week, as did Penn State. So it was a battle of unbeatens building up. Um, I was impressed with how much local uh, coverage the, the Gophers were getting uh, in relation to the fact that there was a Vikings primetime Sunday game with big-time playoff implications. So, um, it, it's easily the most uh, hyped, most uh, talked about, most euphoric situation in my 14 years here uh, for Gopher fans uh, of football, that's for sure. Well, Mike, where does that Penn State game rank as far as games that you've called? Yeah, that, in terms of my Gopher time, that's that's the number one time. That's the number one game. That that uh, It had been last year's battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. Um, your listeners are probably familiar with that. It's the longest-running series with Minnesota and Wisconsin. And, um, you know, it's just a, it's a huge series, and the Gophers had lost 14 straight. And it was about time that they won, and they did. So that was fun. And in Madison, which was even better. But the thing about this was just the whole the whole situation. It was home. Uh, here's a, an interesting stat for you, Tanner. The, the Gophers had not beaten a top-five team at home since 1977. Uh, they beat a number two Michigan team at that time in 1977. Now, they had beaten top five teams uh, in between that time, but they've all been on the road. I think there's three or four occasions where that happens. So to have it at home, to have it be a sellout, to have um, the town and the state kind of jump on the bandwagon, uh, it, it, w- it was a pretty remarkable situation. And then the game was good. It ended with an exciting play. There was exciting plays throughout. So from a personal standpoint, calling the game, there was a lot to get excited about, and it was a fun, good, competitive game right down to the end. So, yeah, that was, that was 
that's uh, that's been my favorite game from a Gopher standpoint for sure. Well, Mike, the first college football playoff rankings came out this week, had Minnesota at number 17. Did the guys feel like the committee wasn't giving them the respect they deserved? Maybe had a little chip on their shoulder going into this week? I think so. Um, I, I think this. I, I don't think that bothered them as much as simply the discussion around the ranking because um, the playoff committee was kind of insinuating when because they, they asked about it and they said, well, they haven't played anybody kind of insinuated Minnesota doesn't have very many good players. They just are kind of the fortunate, uh, uh, you know, beneficiaries of a, of a crappy schedule. And I think the guys took that like, hold it a second, we're pretty good. We're a pretty good team here. Don't just think it's because we haven't played anybody that we're undefeated. And so I, I do think there was some motivation to that. And I think that will continue because, um, you know, who knows what the rankings will be tomorrow. And really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The only way Minnesota would make the playoffs is to win them all. So, you know, it, it will it will solve itself one way or the other. One loss, and it, the rankings are irrelevant, really. And um, no losses, and, and they'll be in the final four. You know, it'll be that simple. So um, it, it really doesn't matter that way. But I do think they'll continue to be able to play the disrespect part. They're ranked seventh. They go to Iowa City to take on a really good Iowa team this weekend, which is ranked 22nd. And they're a three-point underdog. So I think they'll use that. You know, hey, we're ranked seventh. Why are we not favored in this game against a team ranked twenty-second? Obviously, there are analytics, there are home field advantage situation there, but um, I think they'll use that. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Mike, let's talk about some of the personnel. And to me, it starts with Tanner Morgan. This was a guy who was on his way to Western with Coach Fleck and ended up following him to the Twin Cities. This offense has put up at least thirty points in eight consecutive games. Only Oklahoma, SMU, Ohio State, and Bama have longer streaks. What is it about the offense? Offense has been so effective, and tell me about some ways that Morgan's taken his game a step forward. Well, Morgan now in 15 games as a starter is 13 and two. You know there hasn't been a stretch of 15 games in Gopher history since the 60s when they were winning titles and national titles that they've been 13 and two over any 15 game stretch. And this is a kid that's starting his first 15 games. This isn't a kid that's like on the back end of a five year run. So it's been really remarkable. He is. Um, you know, it's a cliche, so it's going to sound a little corny, but he has that clutch bean, I think. I mean, he has had uh, key plays. Um, he helped that engineer that late 90-yard drive in the um, win against Georgia Southern, which that win, right, has turned out a little bit better. Georgia Southern knocked off Appalachian State a couple weeks ago, and people were all saying Minnesota didn't play anybody. And on paper, uh, name brand-wise, that's true, but Georgia Southern, a road game at Fresno. Those aren't easy games. South Dakota State, one of the top FCS teams that, you know, on a, on a good day, they can beat half the Big Ten if the other half of the Big Ten's not on its game. So, um, but back to Morgan, he, so he had clutch gene. And I think one of the keys to the whole team offensively, there, to me, there are three keys. One, third down conversion. They're at 50% on the season. That's remarkable. And I think it's partly because Tanner Morgan really reads the situation well. He's a leader. Guys will play for him, and, and he's doing stuff right. And then, two, um, they're very balanced. Um, in, in their six Big Ten games, they have rushed for over 300 yards three times. That, that's pretty remarkable. And in two of the other three, they have passed for over 300 yards. So they have ways to run the football and to throw the football. And ironically, of the six games that they haven't either run or rushed for 300 yards, I'll give you one guess who it was against. Rutgers, how about that? 
I tell you what, we're talking with Mike Grimm, play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Golden Gopher football team. Gophers set to take on Iowa and Iowa City this weekend. Well, Mike, you talked about the way this season started, struggling with a few group of five and FCS teams. Then you got into Big Ten play and started putting up the numbers, and the committee kind of said, well, yeah, but the strength of schedule is still weak. Then you go out and you beat Penn State and you put the nation on notice. I know that's where the committee's eyes started opening up, but at what point did the team realize that they have something really special? Well, I think inside the walls, they felt they have a good team. Now, I think, look, they probably will say, oh, yeah, we thought we'd be 9-0, and but but let's face it, I don't think even they on their best day thought that. Like, especially like if you go back to preseason camp in August, I, th- I thought they'd be good. I thought they'd be an 8- or a 9-win team, and um, I thought if I don't gamble, but if I did, I laid every penny I had on the over. Vegas put the over under it on wins at six and a half for Minnesota. And I, I didn't see, you know, barring major injuries or suspensions or the roof falling in on the practice facility while players were in it, um, <laughs> I didn't see any way they weren't going to win at least seven. And at nine through nine games. So I think that, you know, they had to believe that they were going to be good. They were picked sixth in the West, so I think that provided some motivation. And, and at the end of the day, they've got a pretty good roster of talent. Jerry Kill, the previous coach, uh, left uh, P.J. Flex some really good players, including Winfield and Coughlin and Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks and Ty Johnson and Thomas Barber and Kamal Martin. Those are all guys that are going to have a chance to play in the NFL. And, that, and so P.J. inherited that group. Um, and they had to grow and learn under P.J. because now this is year three for them under P.J. And then they had supplement in because they had no quarterback they had relatively no offensive line when they took over and and they have supplemented in really uh, well on the recruiting front so this has been a, a good thing and I think they feel like yes they've arrived where was the turning point well I thought the turning point came at the end of last year when they beat Purdue Wisconsin and Georgia Tech that and people I think at that point the Gophers were six and six and no one really paid attention and I don't blame them and they thought, oh, they got on a nice little run, good for them. Um, but for those of us that were around it every day, we could see, wow, this offensive line is pretty good. Well, Rashad Bateman's all right. Wow, uh, you know, Kamal Martin's developing into an NFL-caliber linebacker. You know, all this stuff was happening. And then you got the spring drills, obviously, and the offseason conditioning. And then um, the offensive line didn't play very well at the start of the year in those non-conference games. And South Dakota State made them look silly. And we were all kind of wondering, hold it, maybe we overrated that. Maybe it was just a team on a fling last year at the end of the year. Um, and then uh, after the, uh, the the Georgia Southern game, they went to they had a bye week, and they really worked hard. And I think the offensive line got together right then. They went to Purdue, and, and this, to me, changed the season. Offensive line played great. Tanner Morgan went 21 for 22, threw for 396 and four touchdowns. And I think early in the season – the offensive line struggled was because there was still a little bit of unknown with Morgan at quarterback, and I think teams are like, we're going to load the box, we're going to make him beat us. Um, Minnesota was a little stubborn, quite frankly, in a lot of runs. They didn't let Tanner do it. And then at Purdue, they, there was some weakness in the secondary there. They cut him loose, and he threw all over. Well, guess what happened the next week? Illinois came to town, and the Fighting Illini played a nickel almost the whole game, meaning, oh, Tanner Morgan, we got to stop him. Well, guess what happened to the offensive line? Those big guys said, hold it, I got one less linebacker to block, and ran all over Illinois for like 330 yards. And that set the tone. 
had to pick your poison, Tanner Morgan or the offensive line. Tanner Morgan and those receivers or the offensive line and those running backs. And it's a good arsenal to have if you're the Gophers. And, and Morgan has been just really tremendous in, in orchestrating what they'll give him. And like I said earlier, in three Big Ten games, they've been over 300 rushing. In two Big Ten games, they've been over 300 passing. So um, depending on what you try to shut down, the good news for Minnesota fans is that they've got an answer uh, on the other side of, uh, of the pendulum on, on the offensive side. Talk with Mike Grimm, play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Golden Gopher football team. Mike, I want to talk to you about Coach Fleck. You mentioned he's in his third year there. Tell me about the culture and how it's changed as compared to maybe some of his predecessors. Well, I, I love the guy. He he he's uh, he's so unique. I am all I'm myself. Like I get accused sometimes because I get a little nuts myself of you know why why would you think of it in that term or why why are you out of the box on that? And I, I just like creativity. And he is as creative as anybody I've ever been around. It's amazing stuff that he comes up with. Like, I consider myself somewhat creative in, in some of my ideas on life. And this guy is, is, is like crazy crazy. Like, I like him to start with, whether he can coach or not. Um, I'm his corner just for that standpoint. And I say that whether I was a radio announcer for, for this team or whether I was just a, a guy watching from, I don't care, Madison, Wisconsin or Marquette, Michigan. He just, I, I like his approach. So that, I'll, I'll use that as the backdrop. Um, look, Jerry Kill and Tracy Clay set a pretty good foundation. I, I think there has been a little bit of a misconception, like people saying, hey, you know, P.J. Flight built this out of the ashes. Now, it was interesting. He inherited a good nucleus of players, but it wasn't a complete roster. Four kids got kicked out of school that were all going to be starters on defense because of that fiasco uh, back that, that basically ended the Tracy Clay's tenure. Uh, there was no quarterback on uh, basically on the roster, and there were four healthy offensive linemen. But there were you know ten or twelve kids that that was from that old regime that stuck around. And PJ had to re-recruit them, including Winfield, who was going to transfer. And they they and, and he promised them, look, if you stay, you're going to be champion. And so he's built it. He had this unique vision. I'm telling you, it was crazy. But it's funny now, you look back at his opening press conference and people were kind of rolling their eyes and scratching their head and saying, what's this guy all about? What's he mean connecting the past to the present? What's he mean get everybody rowing in the same direction and get a bigger boat and do all this stuff? It seems like a bunch of, you know, new age, you know, gobbledygook. Well, but I've never seen more former players at a game than last week. The locker room was full of former golfer greats. He's connected the past to the present like nobody has. Because the Gophers have had kind of a fragmented deal. They've been through so many coaches. Um, look, if you play for the University of Minnesota and your coach gets fired, you're bitter now, right? That's your guy. And so there was a fragmented thing. Well, Flick has been able to unite everybody here. Uh, Glenn Mason guys, Jerry Gill guys, Cal Stahl guys, you know, you name it. Tracy Clay's guys, uh, Tim Brewster guys. They all had their to pick with Minnesota because they all had their coach fired. And now they're all kind of united, and they're all exactly as corny as it sounded when he said it. He's, he's pulled that off. And then he said, you need a big football game. They sold out uh, record attendance. It was crazy on Saturday. So, look, have they arrived? I don't know. But at this particular point in time, he's delivered exactly what he said he'd do because he's got an unbelievable creative mind and a really good blueprint and a really good vision. Mike, what's Coach Fleck like away from football? What's he like as a person? Well, he is exactly like what you see, man. And like, like I host his coaches show on Tuesday, and I, I don't do this, but I joke with people. Like, I'm going to need, uh, I need, uh, you know, to drink five Red Bulls uh, and ask two questions, and the hour show is going to be done. He he is uh, a mile a minute. Um, he's energetic. He's optimistic. 
Um, he's, you know, uh, look, I, I sound like I'm just going overboard with it, but I really do think he's he's the real deal. Like, I think some people watch what he does on TV, and they say, this guy can't be for real. That can't be. It's got to be an act. And I'm telling you, it's not. He's got the roll the boat stuff going in regard to uh, community service hours are off the chart for his team. They go read to elementary school kids. They go to the hospital and visit cancer patients. Um, they're, they're, they're sending... Um, what they do at the start of the season um, with this roll the boat, P.J. Fleck orders thousands of oars, and in the preseason he has the team um, sign them. So all these team-signed oars sit there at the football facility, and if um, if uh, a player says, hey, look, my high school coach just passed away or my high school coach just got diagnosed with cancer, somebody's dad, or hey, my best buddy has this, or they get a letter from some fan that says they're sending oars out to everybody. My dad passed away in April, and guess what? When I got and he and he lives in Iowa, he lived in Iowa. When I got back from from everything, it was a downtime. Obviously, you're you know, uh, not a minute. I don't think about him. When I got back, there was an oar waiting on my patio from the team, right? So they just that's all part of it. And so I'm a believer in what they're doing. I think it. I think it's a, a great approach. I think more people will follow it, and, and more people are following it. It's funny when he first got. It was all foreign to me, and now as I watch games closer, uh, some of the stuff he's bringing into games um, other teams are now doing. Mike Grimm is a play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Golden Gopher football team, kind enough to give us some time here in the sports pen. Really appreciate it, Mike. That was awesome stuff. Best of luck to you and the Gophers down the way, and we'll be rowing the boat up here in the UP. Yeah, sounds good, Tanner. Always enjoy it. Uh, invite me back on. Love to do it. Let's take Check a time out. We'll play Over Under next on ESPN UP. The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. If you missed any of today's show, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple App Store, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com and get the on demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Monday afternoon. Let's end the day the way we always do on Mondays during the college football season and that is by taking a look at the top 25 lines and i'm going to give you my pick whether you should take the over or under by now you know not to take my advice when it comes to this college football is so unpredictable but we do it anyway because we have fun let's take a look at this weekend's top 25 lines i'll give you my pick over under which you know maybe it's not an appropriate name for the segment but again we're going to go with it anyway penn state 16 point favorites they are at home this weekend against indiana i'll take the over on this one i think penn state wins by more than 16 they're going to bounce back after a heartbreaker at minnesota plus they're on their home field in happy valley i have them beating indiana the fighting tom allens who are surprising some people this year i still think penn state is going to win by let's say three scores in this one Oklahoma State at home, they are 18-point favorites over Kansas. I'm going to go with the under on this one. I think Kansas is going to make it closer. I don't think they'll win, but I can see this being about a 10-point game. That's about where I would sit the line for Oklahoma State's victory over Kansas. Michigan, 14-point favorites. They're at home against Sparty. I'm going to take the over on this one. Michigan in the big house is just a different animal. Sparty is coming off just... A massive letdown this weekend, blowing a 28-3 lead against Illinois. I'm going to go with the Wolverines to get the over on this one. They're going to cover the 14-point spread and then some. Alabama, 21-point favorites when they go on the road to take on Mississippi State. Winning on the road in the SEC is never easy. I don't care who you are, but Bama's coming off a heartbreaking loss, and they're looking to make a statement, especially with college football playoff positioning still up for grabs. I'm going to take Bama to go over the three-touchdown spread. 
Wisconsin 13-point favorites on the road this weekend taking on Nebraska. I'm going with the over on this one. Wisconsin and Jonathan Taylor have just flat out impressed me. Nebraska has not. Now, Jack Cohen maybe has a little bit of work to do. But Jonathan Taylor is going to be just fine. He's going to be more than enough for Wisconsin to go into Lincoln and get a two-touchdown-plus victory over Nebraska. Notre Dame at home, they are 10-point favorites over Navy. I want to say, I want to say the over. Notre Dame looked like they found their offensive edge again on Saturday night with a 38-7 win at Duke, albeit it was against Duke. Navy's just one of those tough teams. Those option teams are always tough. They always play Notre Dame tough. I'm going to take the under on this one. I think the Fighting Irish will win, but I don't think they're going to win by 10 points. Ohio State putting up 73 points against Maryland this weekend. They're favored by 52 on the road taking on Rutgers. I mean, what's the argument for saying that they're not going to go over? They're not going to win by more than 52. What's the argument? I got to say they are, despite going on the road. I don't care. It's Rutgers. This is a program that's probably going to hire Greg Schiano again. Maybe even Butch Jones. Ohio State is just going to roll this week. And Ohio State very likely is the best team in the country. They won't be ranked number one tomorrow night, nor should they be. But they very well could be the most talented team in the country. Clemson, 31-point favorites. They're at home against Wake Forest. Wake coming off a loss this weekend. They got out to a really hot start this season. I tell you what, Clemson's schedule is laughable. I mean, we're all starting to realize that now. It was one of the dirtiest little secrets in college football. Clemson plays a really laughable schedule. That's starting to come to light, and Wake Forest this weekend doesn't do them any favors. I know it's ACC. I know. I know it's part of their conference. There's nothing they can do about it. But still, Clemson should win this game by 31 or more. I'm going to take the over on it because Clemson should win this game if they truly are a top-four team in the country. Iowa State, seven-point favorites. They're at home against Texas. I like that line. I really do. Iowa State, with that furious comeback this weekend in Norman, they outscore the Sooners 20 to nothing in the final 11 minutes of the game, and a two-point conversion try goes for not in the final minute as Oklahoma hangs on. I like that resiliency. I like Brock Purdy as their quarterback. I like this line here. I really do. And we're going to have a fun quarterback matchup between Purdy and Sam Ellinger. I think I'm going to go with the seven-point line for Iowa State. I know that's dangerous. It almost never works out that way. But I think Iowa State by a touchdown? That sounds about right to me. You've got Memphis, 10-point favorites on the road taking on Houston. I'm going to go with the under on this one. I think Memphis still wins. Houston is a team that can pull the upset every once in a while. But there's a little bit of question regarding Mike Norvell and how much longer he's going to be there. He's a candidate to replace Chad Morris at Arkansas. I wonder if those rumors are swirling in the minds of the players as they get sent in the locker room. i got to think it's somewhere in the back of somebody's mind. I'm going to take the under on this. Iowa is at home. They are three-point favorites against everybody's favorite bandwagon, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. I want to pick Minnesota. I really do. But I know firsthand how tough Kinnick is. And I said it to multiple people last week. I would hate it if Minnesota gets a win like Penn State. And then they go on the road laying egg at Iowa. That's what I'm hoping they avoid. I'm cheering for the Gophers, but it's going to be tough this weekend because Iowa's just such a tough place to play. Kinnick is always going to make you earn a win. I tell you what, I want to pick the Gophers to get the upset here, but I'm not going to. That being said, I'll probably go with the under. I'd say Iowa by a point or two. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm not putting money on this one because I hope that I'm wrong. Cincinnati, 13-point favorites on the road taking on South Florida. I'm going to go with the over on it. Luke Fickle, 
Yeah, he continues to make himself a popular head coaching candidate at a Power 5 school, but it's South Florida. They're just struggling this year. Way too much for me to say that those rumors, anything in the locker room, any instability among Luke Fickle's job security, I just can't say that that's going to affect Cincinnati this weekend at South Florida. Got a couple more here. Georgia, three-point favorites on the road taking on Auburn. I'm going to go with the over on this one. Georgia's just looked angry these last few weeks. They shut out Missouri this weekend 27 to nothing. Bo Nix has been good at times, but he's been inconsistent. I think Georgia wins this one by more than a field goal this weekend when they take on Auburn. LSU, 21-point favorites at Ole Miss. LSU, I believe, should be ranked number one. I hope tomorrow when the rankings come out that Coach O and LSU are in the top spot because they deserve it. And that being said, if they are the top-ranked team in the country, then they need to win by more than 21 at Ole Miss. That's why I'm taking the over on this one. Oklahoma 10-point favorites on the road taking on Baylor. You've got the Sooners against an unbeaten Baylor squad. If there's any chance a Big 12 gets anybody into the college football playoff, these two would have the best shot. And the Sooners favored by 10 after nearly blowing a three-touchdown lead against Iowa State. It's going to be tough going on the road taking on Baylor, but I think the Sooners do it. I think this is the weekend Baylor is knocked from the ranks of the unbeaten. I'm going to say it's about a seven-point line, though. I don't like the 10-point line. I'm going to go with a seven-point line or so for Oklahoma, so I'll take the under. Utah, three touchdown favorites. They're favored by 21 at home against UCLA. I'm going to go with the, actually I like that line, but I'll go with the over on it. The fighting Chip Kellys. Yeah, they just haven't lived up to par this year. Utah has maybe over-exceeded expectations. They're still chasing a conference championship. Still a lot to play for for the Utes, so I'm going to go with the over. You've got Boise, 28-point favorites at home against New Mexico. Boise got taken to overtime this weekend. I'm going to go with the under on it. I don't think the Lobos win this one, but they'll be pesky. They'll make Boise earn it. And then finally, Oregon, 26-point favorites at home this weekend against Arizona. I've said it before, all the Pac-12 does is beat up on each other. And that's why I'm going to go with the under on this one. I still think Oregon wins, but the fighting Kevin Sumlins in Arizona, I think will make this a competitive ball game. That is over-under as we play every Monday here in the Sports Pen during the college football season to end the show. We take a look at the top 25 lines for this weekend in college football. I tell you what, don't be heading down to Escanaba and booking based on my advice. I've told you that before, but it's fun. Break down and analyze these games. It's college football. It's unpredictable. That's the fun of it. That is it for us. I appreciate you tuning in. Again, if you missed our interview with Mike Grimm, play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Golden Gophers, check it out on demand. Get a free mobile app from the Apple I Store or Google Play. Or look up ESPNUP.com and get the on-demand there. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place. I'll have some Northern Michigan audio for you per usual on Tuesdays. Plus, we'll break down Monday Night Football. It's going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to this game. San Fran, Seattle, 815 kick here on ESPN-TV. Signing off from the ESPN-UPWZM Ishpeming Marquette Studios, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen.